Jonah's my favorite book of the Bible, uh, by far. Um, it's a really, really funny book, and we're about to see some really funny stuff once we get to the Scripture today. Um, and I'll point some of, them at, some of that out, and hopefully get some laughter. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about Israel's history with Assyria. Now, Nineveh was a city in Assyria. Um, it was an important city, probably not the most important city at the time Jonah went and preached in it, but it was a very important city there. Um, and Israel does have a long and extensive history of warfare, well, warfare or tribute to Assyria and to Nineveh. So uh, roughly a hundred years before the time of Jonah, um, there was a king named Ahab. He was pretty evil. Elijah did not get along with him um, at all. Um, so during his reign, though, he, along with a coalition of nations, it was, it was the 11 nations, um, went out and fought Assyria because Assyria was going out and wanting to conquer uh, everybody, like everybody. Um, Assyria actually says it was 12 nations, but it was only 11. They only list 11. They like the number 12 a lot. Um, so Assyria claims that they won the battle. Um, that's debatable because they had to keep fighting battles. Um, they claimed it was a huge victory, um, but it shows that Assyria was this nation that was a threat to Israel. Now, when Ahab dies in an unrelated battle, um, Jehu takes over, forcibly takes over Israel, uh, kills off a bunch of people in the process. Um, but he takes over, and he actually seeks support from Assyria instead. And from that point until probably the reign of King Jehoash, um, he's pay, Israel's paying money to, and, you know, cattle and whatnot, to um, Assyria to get their support and keep them from uh, taking over and, well, dispersing the, the people of Israel. Um, now, by the time we get to Jeroboam II, so he's the king, he's the one who's the king at the time of Jonah, okay? Um, Jonah actually prophesied that during Jeroboam's reign that Israel's going to expand their borders, and they do. Um, it's probably the largest the northern kingdom had, had ever been under Jeroboam's reign. Um, they, they even actually get into Syria to some extent. Um, so at this point, one of the reasons they were able to do this was because Assyria was declining. Um, Israel wasn't even, again, was not paying any tribute, wasn't paying anything to Assyria at this point because they were on the, de the decline. Um, they weren't Assyria and Nineveh. Um, they weren't doing well. The people weren't doing well. There was a lot of internal strife, a lot of internal problems. Um, and they were just facing these numerous issues, preventing them from going out and, well, attempting to conquer various and sundry countries um, and doing it in their very, very violent way. Um, so, again, at, at their weakest. So, we start to see a little bit about why maybe Jonah didn't want to go there because, again, there's this history. There's a history of seeing... Jonah knows about their violence, one. Jonah knows that they're a threat to Israel, two, because they have been. They could be again. Um, and Jonah probably just wants to see them taken down. If he doesn't give that message, what's going to happen? And so let's go ahead and read uh, Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Again, that's Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, we will be going through chapter 4 and verse 4, so we'll be kind of going between the two chapters. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV. 
So, starting in verse 6. So, Jonah's just preached his really, really short message of 40 days. It's over. Um, And Nineveh responds. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Uh, I'll just say that one of my favorite sayings in Bible college was that somebody is exceedingly angry. Just my favorite one. And so he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made hastily to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So a few funny things. One, people of Nineveh, they have no idea what they're doing. They're taking some ideas from, maybe from Jonah. Maybe they asked Jonah, so how do we repent? Uh, they're using sackcloth and ashes. That's not something they would typically do when they repented. Um, the king rising from his throne, that, that's something that could be interesting. They had this, um, this idea that if they could, could get the king off the throne, they could find, uh, they could find somebody who's really poor, put him in king's clothing, treat him pretty well for a few weeks, and then kill him so that the king wouldn't face the the consequences. That's possibly what they were doing here. Um, But but it gets weirder than this because then it's not just people who need to repent. No, no, it's the animals who need to repent. You have a little chihuahua? That dog, actually, that dog probably does need to repent. But yeah, the animals go and repent. They put them in sackcloth. They say they're not eating for a few days. So you're having to prevent your cattle from eating grass for a few days. They have to fast too. They're trying to remove all the offense. It could be the animals. It could be the people. It could be both. We need to make sure we cover all our bases. And God says, you know what? They have no idea what they're doing, and I feel sorry for them. I'm not going to bring this disaster right now. And of course, Jonah is not happy. Um, Not happy at all. Um, Because he knows God's gracious and merciful. God's the kind of God who says, they have no idea what they're doing. They're trying, but they have no idea what they're doing. I'm I'm going to, we're going to settle down here, and we're going to see what they do. And that's the reason Jonah fled. Jonah fled because he knew that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Um, 
He knows God's history with Israel. It starts at the beginning. We hit Exodus, and uh, people of Israel leave the land of Egypt. They're, they're already getting God angry. God's already saying, what are you doing? I'm just going to wipe you all out, and we'll start over with Moses. It takes Moses uh, pleading with God to get God to say, you know, fine, we won't do that right now. Um, but again, throughout Israel's history, we, we see God is just gracious with his people. Um, God doesn't bring judgment if he sees that there's this possibility that people are going to repent, that they're going to turn away, that they're going to turn to the way that they should be going. And he does the same thing here with Nineveh. He sees that there's this possibility that they're working on it, that they could turn away from their violence and turn towards doing what they should be doing to be in right relationship with him. And again, this is the history of Israel. This really is the history of Israel. Uh, another example would actually be Amos uh, chapter 7, um, where it takes one prophet, Amos, intervening on behalf of Israel to stop God. Not stop God, God listens. Um, but, to get, but to convince God to say, you know what, we'll push it out for now. One man. God's willing to turn from and relent from what he says he's going to do because of one man intervening. So again, God's gracious and compassionate. Jonah knows this. And Jonah doesn't want any of that for Nineveh. This is why he ran. He ran because he knows if he brings this message and the people of Nineveh respond in a way that God wants, he's, God's not going to bring that judgment and then Nineveh's going to be a threat again. Again, he responds to, with grace to people who did not deserve grace. And, I mean, that's, that's all our lives. He responds with grace to me when I don't deserve grace. Now, Jonah's response isn't the same as God's response, again. So he doesn't rejoice when he sees that, the, that people are turning back or turning to God. He doesn't rejoice that people are turning to God. He says, no, they shouldn't be turning to you. They should be getting judged. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if you're dropping a meteor on them or it's going to be an earthquake, maybe a volcano, maybe just another army coming in and wiping them all out. I don't know, but it should be one of those. But that doesn't happen. God relents, and Jonah's response is disgust and anger. And again, remember, the his, Israel's history with, is, with Assyria isn't, isn't a good history. It's a history of two opposing parties. And God's response to Jonah here is a question. Should Jonah be angry? Is it good for you to be angry? If God has forgiven because the people of Nineveh have repented, should Jonah also res respond with forgiveness to the people of Nineveh? If God's forgiven somebody, what should our response be? And we want to say it's obvious it should be forgiveness, but let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, verses 14 to through 15. So again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses or sins. 
And I'll read that again because it's really important um, and because I've been reading it just about every day for the past three months. Um, <laughs> for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Um, and one of the reasons I've been reading this for the past three months is because I've been thinking about forgiveness a lot for the past, actually it's really been for the past six, seven years. Um, but because forgiveness is actually really, really hard to do. It's not easy. But it's God's intention. So let's think about God's intention for Israel. Take up another strand here. God's intention was that Israel would be a blessing to the nations. So God blesses Israel. Through that, Israel is a blessing to the nations. Not that they would keep the blessing of God, God's grace and mercy to themselves, which is what Jonah wanted. It's only for Israel. Maybe Judah, but that's debatable. Um, Blessings only for Israel, not for anybody else. Everybody else can go die. And this is what Jonah prefers. Um, but, that, but again, God's intention is that through them, the nations would go know God's grace and mercy for themselves. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Again, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let's look at the last part there. And in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the families in Israel, but all of the families. God's intention was never for our blessings to just be for ourselves. God's intention was never for God's grace to only be for ourselves, but to be dis- for, for that to be spread to others. And, you, you know, yeah, they're going to be blessed, but again, the blessing needs to go to all of the nations, all of the peoples, all of the families of the earth. Uh, yes, Abraham, Abram, and then Israel would be his people, but his people to be a light to the nations. So likewise, God's intention for us was never that we just be blessed, but, but not bless others to the blessing God gives us. That would be pointless. God doesn't want us to just kind of keep it inside of us. Um, because, God's for, because God forgives us, and he has forgiven us, we can forgive others. Because God forgives us, we ought to forgive others. And for Jonah, this would include the nations that Israel was at odds with, and they were at odds with any number of the nations at any different point in time. You could bring up history with any of the nations around Israel. They had history with Judah. They didn't like Judah that much. There was a point in time where they had, Israel had enough power over Judah that Judah had to do whatever Israel said. And people will be at odds with other people at various times and places. There are people I've been at odds with. So, and you know, people I've found offense with. Those are the people that I need to forgive. Sometimes that forgiveness doesn't look the way I want it to, where it's 
oh yeah, they really did something wrong. Sometimes that forgiveness is, they didn't really do anything wrong, you're just being stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But let's sort of draw these two strands together. So we have this concept of blessings, that others might be blessed, and then we have an imperative to forgive given given to us by Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you don't forgive, your father's not going to forgive you. If you do forgive, yeah, totally going to forgive you, but not if you don't. So Jonah was sent to declare God's judgment. And here we're going back. So Jonah declares God's judgment, and that looks like the only thing he declared. But not just to declare the judgment and say, this is going to happen, and you're all going to, some disaster is going to overtake you but so that Nineveh would have a chance to repent and to be forgiven. The the call to judgment isn't just by itself, just so that somebody can be told they're going to be judged and that's it, that's the end of it. No, it's so that they can turn to God. And so that they can then be forgiven by God and not just by God. There's an opportunity for others to forgive and reconcile. What would have happened if Nineveh had stayed in the repentance and you had Israel and Nineveh become friendly nations? What could have happened? What if Israel did what it was supposed to do, be a kingdom of priests, so that through them, Nineveh and Assyria could come and see God? How would that have looked? (laughs) It would have been a lot different than what actually we see occur in the historical record. And remember that Jonah knows this. Jonah knows that God has frequently forgiven Israel. We, we talked about that. Um, after, you know, God's threatened much-deserved judgment against her. A lot of judgment against her. It, it's occurred since Israel came out of Egypt. So God's question, is it right for you to be angry, cuts to the heart of the matter for Jonah and for us. Do we have the right to be angry when God has forgiven someone? We have the right to stay angry, to build up that anger. What if it's someone we don't like? What if it's that neighbor who doesn't keep up their lawn? What what if that person is someone who's wronged us? What if they stole something from us? What if they said something really, really just mean to us? What do we do with that? Now, I do want to say here that anger, even Jonah's anger, is a symptom of having been wronged or feeling like you've been wronged. Anger isn't necessarily going to go away right away when you forgive someone. Anger, again, anger is a symptom. Anger tells us exactly how much we don't like what somebody did. You have very little anger because all they did was poke us when we didn't want them to poke us. We could have a lot of anger because their chihuahua keeps getting into our yard and, well, defecating all over the yard. (laughs) And so, and again, this anger is natural. Justice hasn't been done. There's no justice here. Or we haven't been able to retaliate as we think would have been appropriate. And so we're angry. Again, it's a symptom. Anger doesn't necessarily, um, anger isn't the same thing as unforgiveness, but it is a symptom of unforgiveness. 
And again, anger, I do want to emphasize this, is a reasonable response to injustice against us. It's not something that we should say that there's no reason for us to feel anger. We should. If somebody's done wrong to us, you should be angry. It's fine to be angry. What's not fine is when you do something with that anger that becomes sin. The question is how we're reacting with that anger. If we're reacting with that anger by doing something bad back to them, and that could be any number of things, could be words, could be sending their dog to animal control. Not necessarily wrong, it depends. Um, But the question becomes, are we responding in a way that God wants us to respond? So again, the key question is whether we're right to stay angry. Should we be staying angry with somebody? Because I can tell you that anger will build up. And then you'll get angry over really small things, really, really small things, and don't know why you're so angry. But because the anger doesn't, you haven't ever dealt with the anger and haven't ever dealt with the unforgiveness. We also need to be careful not to assume that just because we feel that somebody's wronged us, that they actually have. It's dangerous and wrong to assume offense when none whatsoever was intended or when nothing was actually done to us. I get angry at the news sometimes. It happens. That doesn't mean that I have a really good reason to be angry. may disagree with what's going on. Actually, disagree with a lot of what's going on. But that doesn't mean I have a right to be angry. So in one sense, it does make sense then for Jonah to be angry. He knows what Assyria has done. He knows what Nineveh has done in the past. He knows what they've done against Israel and probably has some idea of what he's done against some, what they've done against some of the other countries, other, other nations. But God is even more familiar with the wrongs that Nineveh and Assyria have committed. God knows all of that. Jonah has a narrow view centered on Israel and centered on what he wants for Israel, which is to be a strong nation. Is what he prophesies. I'm pretty sure he agrees with, the, agrees with his prophecy there. Jonah has a narrow view, centers primarily on Israel. God is the one who views all the violence, who in one sense the violence is directed also at him. All of the terror that Nineveh and Assyria have inflicted against folks who don't deserve it, and God then forgives them when he sees them repent. God, the one who sees all of it, forgives them. And this is where we get to another point. God's mission. God's mission, even in the time of the Old Testament, was to have his salvation go to every nation, to every people, through Israel. And we can't participate in that mission because we still have that mission today. We have the Great Commission. Make disciples of all nations. Unless we are willing to forgive and reconcile. God himself forgives and reconciles with us. He did. We were enemies. According to Romans, we were enemies before he forgave us and reconciled with us. We were his enemies. We caused him offense. We, caused, we offended him. We sinned against him, and he forgave us. And he expects us to do likewise, to, do, to be like him in our forgiveness. So to participate in God's mission is to forgive and reconcile. I 
one necessary caveat here is that God relents here when he sees evidence of attempts at repentance from the violence that had formerly been committed by Nineveh, not before. So this isn't to suggest that if somebody's in an abusive relationship, that they just need to go forgive and that nothing else needs to happen. Something needs to be done about the abuse. Um, and it's really hard to see evidence at repentance in an abusive relationship. So how do we forgive? What's, what, what shape does forgiveness take? So first thing I want to note here, and this is partially because I've taken a number of counseling courses, is that forgiveness is not intended to be therapeutic. Again, forgiveness is not intended to be therapeutic. It can be. You can feel really good about forgiving somebody. You can also, by that nature, feel really bad about forgiving somebody because it really did not want to forgive them. Um, and so, again, by therapeutic, I mean that we don't just forgive just that we feel better or more at peace. Again, we may feel better, I mean, we may feel more at peace, and that's great. It's, it's good if we feel more at peace, but that's not the purpose. And that's not necessarily what's going to happen when we forgive. So, again, make her in the process of forgiveness and reconciling. It may be five years out when you decide to forgive five years ago, and you're finally at that point of being able to feel kind of good about it and feel at peace about it. So rather, forgiveness is the release of a debt that is owed to us, or that we think is owed to us. Again, forgiveness is the release of a debt that is owed to us. So a debt of justice or even revenge, that we deserve justice, we deserve revenge. So the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew, specifically described our forgiveness by God and forgiveness of others as the pardoning of a debt. Now, you can't really forgive someone by saying that it's fine or it's okay. That's not forgiveness. There, there wouldn't be much point in forgiving someone if it was okay. On the other side of it, why am I apologizing if it was Okay. There was no point in me apologizing if it was okay. If I didn't do anything wrong, I shouldn't be apologizing. So rather, to be able to forgive, we need to be able to name what's been done, what's been done to us. And that's even harder. If a wrong's been committed by another person against us, it, that's what needs to be forgiven. And that's what needs to be named. If somebody has, in fact, wronged us, again, we have to name it. The other side of that is, if they don't know what they've done, how can they turn away from that? There's a, um, there was a pastor in the 6th century that I like reading um, named Gregory, and he, he wrote some stuff on uh, how you sort of deal with different groups of people. And he says for people who don't talk a lot, what they need to be told is talk more because, and tell people if they've done something to you, because if you don't tell them that they've done something to you, they don't have any way to know that they need to repent. So you're robbing them of that opportunity to repent at that point. Actually, Pastor Andy said it was a kind of name it and claim it. <laughs> when we talked on Wednesday, if you're naming what's been done, then you can claim forgiveness, and give forgiveness. 
And then forgiveness can be a process rather than being instant. Forgiveness can be a process rather than being instant. There are times when we forgive people and it happens right away. Just like that. Usually what happens is we forgive somebody, have that initial moment, and then it depends. Let's say 10 minutes later, we remember what they did and we're angry again. (laughs) Or maybe it's a year later and we're still somewhat remembering what they've done. That happens. It happens to me. Um, For me, one of the big things that I found difficult and sometimes still find difficult, and one of the reasons I started reading about forgiveness, um, is forgiving what occurred to, actually, Jamie and I when we were um, in a different ministry location. Uh, It was our our only, other than camp, it was our only really paid ministry experience. Um, I was working about 60 hours a week every week there. Um, finally realized after going to a missions conference, after sleeping through most of a missions conference, <laughs> <laughs> that what was being done to me there wasn't good. Um, and so I came back and, real, and said, you know what, I, I need to work just a 40-hour week. Um, get moved to a new office, get to paint the new office. Two weeks later, get laid off. I wasn't happy. I managed to hide it with the uh, pastor there, but when I got home, oh, there was yelling. (laughs) Um, Of course, it goes further than that because then Jamie gets another, we end up having to move because we have no money and because Jamie ends up in the hospital for about a month, Jamie, my wife. Um, We end up in Montrose. Jamie ends up with a ministry job in Montrose. And there's just conflict everywhere. She gets let go. I'm angry again. Because it's, it's the anger from the previous ministry experience and from that one. And I'm working overnight, so I'm even un- more unhappy at that point. But the anger just builds and builds. And so about five years ago, when I ended up here is when I really started being able to read and think about and pray about and then read some more and pray some more forgiveness. And I like to think I've dealt with most of it, but there are still times when I think about, it would be really nice if I could just TP that church. (laughs) (laughs) It's a process. It takes time. I, I don't know if I'll... I may still have a slight smidgen when I'm 80. I I, I don't know, but I'm working on it. I'm working on forgiving. So it may take years to fully forgive someone of wrongs they've done against us. Again, it's taken me years. Now, because trust needs to be rebuilt in the relationship, um, forgiveness does not mean that the relationship is going to look the same that it did before. We're not coming back into this relationship that looks exactly the same. Trust has been broken, and yeah, we're going to deal with the, the, what we forgave differently, but trust still needs to be rebuilt. 
you still need to see that they're serious about their repentance. In much the same way, they need to see that you're serious about your forgiveness. So according to Miroslav Volf, um, a theologian who's written quite a bit on forgiveness, key part of this is remembering rightly. My question is for him, how can we go about remembering the wrongs done to us, especially by people who are seeking forgiveness? But even if they're not, how do we go about remembering the wrongs done to us? How can we remember differently so that there may be a chance at relationship? How do we, think, how do we go about thinking about it differently? How do I go about thinking about my experience in, in the church in Cheyenne differently so that I can forgive? How do I remember that rightly? And that is the process, is thinking about it differently, thinking about what occurred differently, what God was doing there. What was God doing in that? It's a big one. What's God, what was God doing in that situation? What was God doing with me in that, remembering that situation now? What is God making of that? So, finally, forgiveness is a chance at building a renewed relationship. Again, forgiveness is a chance at building a renewed relationship. It's not a new relationship, it's renewed. So similar to the way our relationship with God, so we started out as enemies with him, right? Or let's go back further. Let's go back to Adam. Adam had a relationship with God. It's pretty, pretty direct and close, right? That gets destroyed. And in the process, all of our relationships with God get destroyed. But God sets up a way to rebuild that. It doesn't look the same way it did with Adam. We're not in a garden, and we do wear clothing. (laughs) But there's a relationship there, a relationship that can mature, that can be built up, where God sees what we're doing, and God chooses to use us even to reach others. God chooses to trust us to reach others. I don't know why he does, because I'm not trustworthy there, but at least I don't feel like I am. But God does. And likewise, our relationship with others who we have forgiven are built up over time as well. There's a kind of a new history that can be built up in the relationship because we're going after that point of forgiveness and anger to the point of this is like a new relationship. That, that has occurred before, but we can remember this differently. We can think about this differently. Or at least try to. And it's one in which the forgiven party is able to show that they've changed as well. At that point, it's not just the wrong that's been done to us, it's just the rebuilding of trust. At this point, um, I'd like to have the worship team come up. So, a few things we get from Jonah here. One, our repentance can look really really clueless, and God's still going to forgive us. Forgiveness is just turning away from what we were, or sorry, repentance is just turning away from what we were doing. People of Nineveh turned away from what they were doing. God forgave them. Likewise, God forgives us when we turn away from what we were doing, even if we have to have our chihuahua repentance sackcloth and ashes. Or especially if we do. And also, it's a, a call to join in the mission of God. 
that to be like God and to join in God's mission for the world, and especially to our immediate circle of influence, is to see those who have hurt us and those we have hurt, and to forgive and to be forgiven, to be blessed and be a blessing to others. So there's a couple of ways we can respond. Um, So if you're struggling with forgiveness, or even if you're struggling with repentance, uh, the prayer team is available in the back to pray with you. Uh, We do have communion tables up front where you can take communion to reconnect with God's forgiveness for you. And you can also respond in worship to the one, worship of the one who has forgiven us even though we did not deserve it. And finally, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you so much that in our feeble attempts at repentance, that you do forgive us. That even though we sometimes don't even know what we're doing, that you still forgive us. That you give us grace. You give us blessings. Lord, let us be a blessing to others. A blessing to everyone around us, to all of the families of the earth. Not just the families in our congregation, but the families in this valley. Lord, let us forgive others as we have been forgiven. Amen.